This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth uh, as we continue our Tuesday morning Bible study in the book of 1 John, starting with uh, chapter 5 today. And, but we have a question from the floor, Mr. Ted. Uh, Ted Loring calling in from the floor. Fantastic. Uh, calling in, I'm actually speaking in. It's good to uh, see you, sir. Thank you. Um, my question is, you made a comment about Philippians from the pulpit, at least the first service, that mm-hmm. one of the reasons why you like Philippians is there's a, a hymn in it. Mm-hmm. You're a hymn guy, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so are there any hymns in First John, specifically chapter 4, because... When I was looking at my little thing that shows Greek and then English below it, yeah. the way the Greek is written, it almost looks like verses, like like a poem, or I mean, it's not just written like a sentence or a song or something. Yeah, or like, like a hymn. So, is that was that possibly an early church hymn or something like that? Um, the translation is "Beloved, let us love one another." For love is from God. What verse is that? God is Verse seven. Four seven. How is it in your book too? Does yours break it, Micah? It doesn't. No, mine's printed out. I could look in my Greek New Testament, but it's so tiny you have to have reading glasses and a magnifying glass. It's your microscope. I don't have a microscope. Well, somebody may have already thought that. That's what you want to know. Well. I'm trying to figure out how I want to answer this question. (laughs) (laughs) So in ancient liturgical understandings, um, when it comes down to hymns, it wasn't like there wasn't strophes, there wasn't lyrics, there wasn't a verse. It was just there was a, a place in the worship whatever worship looked like, because we don't exactly know, right? Right. That they would say, here's this part, and we're going to kind of chant it. That's the best that I can come up with the answer for. So, for example, Philippians 2 has this pattern in the way that it's written that's very unique in the sense of this could be chanted. Now, this one particular Lee, First uh, John chapter four verses seven, and I would say that it's it would go to twelve if if you were going to look at that as a hymn, mainly because of the way that it's written. Um, so let's let's just look at this real quick. Let's go to Philippians chapter two. We studied this a bunch, and oh, I bet you did. Yes, indeed, it's written all over. It is. It is uh, a, a very famous, very popular. I'm going to do the same thing again. First, second, first and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. First, second, there it is. First, second, first, second, second. Stop in the middle of that. Power, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. That'll work. Where'd you learn that? <laughs> Somebody said. So, so the uh, Philippians chapter two. Okay. It starts. Um, I mean, so. I call it a hymn. Scholars struggle with calling it a hymn, but mainly because of the way that it's written. So really the hymn itself starts um, at verse 5 through 11. And it's this poetic incarnation of, of Jesus. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to read it and then kind of go from there. So 
Uh, I got to find it first. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. That's your opening line. Uh, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard, regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death and even death on a cross. So now you've got you've got three different ideas here. So here is the opening hymn the line, the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. We are welcome to the beginning of our song. <laughs> who though he was in the form of God did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited but emptied himself taking the form of a slave doulos right and doulos. yeah being formed in human likeness so now we are coming from above coming to the earth and being found in human form at the end of verse 7 then verse 8 says now that he has come to earth he has now humbled himself before and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is Paul's main point about Jesus's life. He does. He talks about resurrection, but death is the part death on a cross. That's his focus. So now he's taken the form of human. So that's verse <laughs> two. Verse three then would be, therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue could, should, should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. And now he has been risen back up. You see? So, welcome to our hymn. God has sent us his son from heaven to earth, and now he's lived amongst us. And now he's going back to God, and he's raised above all names. Now, scholars really kind of struggle with this idea, because if this is really truly the formation of a hymn, how does that work in liturgical worship? Well, it doesn't. <laughs> like, that's the problem. You, you, can't, you can't say that. So it's like thinking of a Shakespearean sonnet. I'm not going to sit there and say a Shakespearean sonnet without the whole context. So in... The idea is, is the the way that it was written was poetic enough in nature that it sounded a lot like a psalm. Therefore, they call it the Philippian hymn. Now, let's go back to First John, chapter four, verse seven. Well, we definitely have written it that way, yeah. But in the first century, we've we've called it the Philippians hymn for two thousand years. So, uh, well, close to two thousand years. Um, and and uh, historically, people talk about it that way, and 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 like you just commented on Pam, people have taken that particular verse and said, "Oh, we're going to make a lyrical thing." But lyrics, re remember, music notation doesn't happen until the ninth or tenth century period. Like, so there's no, uh, and there's not really musical notation. It was at that time, it was what we called neumes, and it was just like shapes. And then uh, over time, we added Western notation to it. Mm -hmm. And yes, it still works for what you just commented on. First John chapter four, however, uh, it talks about a theme, but it doesn't do it in a poetic nature. It's, it's just purely an idea. Now you and I can look at this because we've, grown up with music and we're musicians and we can go this would make a really good hymn 
for them, there had to be this three-part thing that was not three-part harmony. It was just this um, literary style that makes it a hymn, like a Shakespearean sonnet makes it a Shakespearean sonnet, like a Greek play makes it a Greek play. Um, it It's just, this is the style. And the best example I can give to you is a, a psalm or a proverb. A psalm is written in such a way that you go, oh, that's a psalm. They, they had to have sung that. Mm-hmm. Well, how, how did they sing it? Mm-hmm. We don't know. <laughs> so that's, uh, did that answer your question or did yeah, I make I it more complicated? Let me see if I can sum up. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> for our, I for am, our, uh, our audience. I'm an American guy in Western culture mm-hmm. in the year 2023. Mm-hmm. I happen to look at the way that it was just written in this particular book in the original language, and I said, that looks like a poem or a song. Absolutely. So that's why it lent itself to me. It doesn't necessarily make it so, but we don't know because we don't know because that's right. right right philippians yeah, 2 is its own unique beast yeah. in the way that it was written this is why scholars struggle with it yeah. why did paul write this way in this style and nowhere there else does he do that this is almost was an editorial decision anyway yes yeah by the time you get to first john remember they're struggling with what are we doing with god mm-hmm. what are we doing with jesus and we know there's a holy spirit language out here but we we're not going to claim holy spirit in this book He's going to do it later, but not here. So, so really, I would suggest thinking that the the thing that the author is writing here is is saying, well, let's talk about what God is. God is love, a love that transcends all of human understanding. It's not a like Robert would say. It's not a love for tacos. It's it's a love for something that knows me to the very core of my being that that gave me the ruach to do the will of god yes that's very poetic it's beautiful it's extremely revolutionary no the fact that that love can be in us and that same love can come out of us that's right to others now you have to do that if you're living like jesus and so that that's another argument that John's going to be making. Robert, I see the steam. No. I was just... And anyway, I have one more time that this is what scholars struggle with when I start translating mm-hmm. from Hebrew or from Greek into English. And some of the stories were written as... Some of the books were written as stories. You know, poetic. They they flow. I mean, there's a story. Others are written for information. Right. Yeah. And when you get in there, it doesn't translate well. So being able to read the way that it was originally written, I would need you to go in one direction or another. But when they translate, it doesn't make always make sense. And usually the scholars do, so we're not headed in our world today towards a story, headed towards, you know, this is the way it was. Yeah. Because that's what we we can grasp on to that one and one. Right. It's always a little bit confusing. But anyway, with all that being said, uh, we can get messed up just by the way it's translated. But I do have an in question. Yeah. 
would Paul have written somebody like Shakespeare? Or, I mean, to me, his letters, if it's his letters, would be back to, uh, you know, this is what you were told, you're following it, kudos to you, or you the long term. Hmm. You know, yeah, but that's why I'm asking about this one. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying it's written, but y'all have alluded to this one sounds a little bit different than other letters. Oh yeah, this is, and and we don't know that Paul had anything to do with this one. That part I really want to make sure I say out loud. So I I would probably say that Paul did not write this. Um, yeah, and no. stories is what people, and that, I'll say that even today, that's what people like to hear. Yeah. It's stories. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think I'm going to go back to Ted's thing to answer yours. So, yeah, this one could look at this passage of scripture that we read last week and go this is him like right because what what's the purpose of a hymn just have, it helps you remember what else does it do it teaches you about what the flow of words the words how they're put together mm-hmm. the story mm-hmm. i mean there's more investment in the song that's telling the story in most instances. I mean, there are storytellers that are very best what they're doing. Absolutely. But, you know, to recite a story to kids so they'll go to sleep, there's probably not a lot of investment in that story, unless it's one that likes to. Right. I mean, and, I think, and I think one of the, the cool parts about hymns, which is why I'm also supporting you in your idea that this your 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 hypothesis that that this could have been a hymn in the sense that it also speaks how your faith interacts with your relationship with god yeah like when i grew up hymns were part of our prayers and like our service Mm -hmm. it was like a big part of it so Mm -hmm. we have lots so this is and that's not a and, and the beautiful part is hymns have always been a part of worship even before Jesus. So even the Jewish culture, we, we have, we don't have documentation, but we have this idea that they were singing these hymns together. How do we know this? Well, you, you, you don't have songs like Hava Nagila out of nowhere, right? You don't have Kaddish's sung without, without musical notation. It, it's not written down, by the way. If, if, you, if you go today, you can go find and look for Kaddish or a, a, the Hava Nagila is written down because Everybody else uses it now, but but there's these these prayers, maftom. You, when you do prayers, they're sung. You can't find musical notation for it most of the time. Perfect example. I was asked to do something at seminary uh, a while ago, and the rabbi was there, and they asked me to sing a Kaddish, and I'm like, I don't know this one. And they're like, oh, sure you do. You sang it back in, you know, 1996. And I'm like... Yeah, but my professor wrote it down for me, and we sat down, and we we figured it all out. And they're like, oh, well, it sounds like this. And I remember them sitting with me 10 minutes before worship began, 
and I still couldn't do it. So I played it on the piano. That was the only way I could fake it because I, I, I figured out the chords and I played it on the, but, but, but they didn't, they didn't write it down. So where I, where I'm going with this is, is hymns, hymn to D itself transcends musical notation. It transcends some of these things. It's supposed to be inviting people into worship. So that passage that you just read, yeah, it totally invites you to worship. So to go back to Robert's idea. If you're reading first John this way as a place of worship, which is what these letters are intended for, there's a community of people gathered around a dinner table and they get this letter and they read and it's a worship experience. We love to believe they had communion. We love to believe that they sang hymns and they read these letters, which is leading me to my segue, where if you talk about God is love and you talk about how how God operates in that type of love, then what ends up taking place then is, well, how does Jesus work in our world today? If we're being invited by the singing of hymns and songs, well, where where what do we do with God and Jesus now that Jesus is not physically here? Well, he starts off with chapter 5. By saying, you see that segue, I was pretty proud of myself. I brought us back full circle. <laughs> so if you if you get to this idea of what here's God's love in the name of Jesus, now faith conquers the world is my subtitle for chapter five. And it starts off by saying, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God conquers the world, and this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Think of that as your invitational statement at the end of the worship service. Imagine what that would be like. We're coming to an end. The meal is finished. We're, we're getting ready to leave. I mean, we know that First John's getting ready to end. So here's that statement. You look like you're going to say something, Pam. What was the, what's the thing he would use as Verse 4. Okay, Sasa is is the person who did this thing says having overcome the world. See, I, I see conquer as the sounds like war. Overcome as as Well, I, I yeah, I think that I know that when they were translating this in the NRSV. There was a, a a strong conversation about Roman Romanesque language, and that conquering when they were translating this would have probably worked better for them than us because we have such a, a gi- gigantic vocabulary. Yeah. So for them, I think that I'm not defending. I'm just saying that in the NRSV they probably put conquerors because that would have probably spoke more. But it is overcoming. It's really more of a. Conquers, conquers something 
you take over and you reinforce more what yeah. you overcome Right. So I think the root of that word is victory. Yep, that's victory. Oh, become. Yeah. So there, there is a. It's a both end here. Uh, well, you can see that might be a little hard mm-hmm. to try to translate into the perfect English word, because victory can. Yeah, depending on yeah. your perspective, you can use a different word for it. Exactly. So. And it, and the, the people that are translating it into the NRSV, they have this Roman-esque, uh, they want people to know as they're translating this that the, peop- the audience is hearing language from a militaristic <laughs> lifestyle, where we, we don't. You know, we, we, we want to hear a different language today. So let's let's keep going unless anybody has any more questions. So if we if we're inv- inviting them to come to a close of this time this is the one who came by water and blood verse 6 Jesus Christ not with water only but with the water and the blood and the spirit is the one that testifies. Here's where it gets fun. The spirit is it a uh, spiritos or is it pneuma? Pneuma. Oh, so it is the air. So we have the the air and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive human testimony, the testimony of of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He has testified to His Son. Here it is. Those who believe in the Son of God have the testimony in their hearts. Those who do not believe a God have in God have made him a liar by not believing in the testimony that God is concerning his Son. And this is the testimony. God gave us eternal life. This is the part that I want you all to catch. They have come to the realization when this is being put together that there is something after death. This is, this is your eternal life thing. Remember, I tend to believe that 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John was written before the Gospel of John. So here's your first conversation about eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Notice there's no conversation of, well, here's heaven, here's hell. <laughs> Right, that doesn't come till much later. We we use that language today, but at the first, second, and third centuries, there was not a conversation of heaven or hell. There was a, there's a, a resting place, and then there's not. There is a place of eternal damnation, and then a place of eternal salvation. But this is your first kind of conversation about that. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the boldness we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have obtained the request made of him. If you see your brother or sister committing what is not a mortal sin, you will ask, and God will give life to such a one. To those whose sin is not mortal, there is a sin that is mortal, I do not say that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that is not mortal. And that's 
to death the the, the to death right phonotone is the where, where it says mortal it's death death right phonotone every time so we know that those who are born of god do not sin hmm <laughs> continually yeah right because we uh we're perfect people this is not a right but the one-time thing it is definitely not talking about a one-time thing but the one who was born of god protects them and the evil one notice that language does not touch them what's it say it's the same one in the lord's prayers gotcha we know that we are God's children and that the whole world lies under the power of the real one, evil one, sorry, evil one. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, who, yeah. And we are, are in him who is true is son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. <laughs> there is Just- by the way, yeah. Just by the way, has nothing to do with the previous conversation. So this is this is a really fascinating passage of scripture. I mean, like it's it's uh, and we're we're going to be able to do second John, second letter of John, and the third letter of John today too. So I just just thought I would. So it sets it up, you know. It sets up all of this this conversation. Um. There's a lot going on here. Yeah, there's some confusing stuff in there for sure. Yeah, like what? Well, like sins that lead to death and sins that don't lead to death. Things right. Like that. It's just. And what are those? Like, yeah, where's this list? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that might be good to know. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I did the, the little white eyes. You know, sometimes you have to. I don't want to say you have to be the truth, but you have to bend the truth, knowing that by your bending it, it's going to protect or whatever you do it for a reason to protect you know somebody or something or whatever sometimes you have to yeah i've, I've heard the example i think like you're saying like if you were hiding jews in world war ii and then the nazis came in and said are you hiding jews in your house <laughs> i would say absolutely not you know, yeah, I would yeah, lie yeah to save those lives so I would hope that's not a mortal sin, but there's no risk, right? I mean, as far as I know, or it sounds like it's still a sin, but it's not. You're not going to be put to death. Well, Unless they find it. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that, example. yeah that example. That yeah. example. But I've read that before. You know, under in ethics class, you know, oh, is yeah. it okay to lie? In, <laughs> by lying, you're saving someone's life. Next to that discussion is are you a Jew? If, if I was asked that in that situation, Nazis, I would have probably said no to that too because I would have no problem lying to a complete scoundrel that wants to go kill me and destroy. may not be a sin, but there's a there's a there's a part that we're not bringing up in this. Uh, part of the reason why is is because it it takes us down a rabbit trail that I just would choose not to go down is. Uh, if you are born of God, you are, in essence, a part of the Jewish faith. Like this is, then they are without sin because God has given them the promise. So there's there's a little bit of a problem, which is why I'm not going down that rabbit trail. This is this is part of the reason that you heard, uh, really, from the 17th century on, 
kind of an anti-Semitic rant that, well, if you're born of God, you have to do it this way. Well, that's not what this just said, right? Like this is saying evil is exists. That's what you have to pay attention to. Evil will bring you to sin regardless. And it actually says a one, evil one. It doesn't, it, it doesn't it's like evil person, right? It's a, it's doesn't say Satan. I want to make sure we say that out loud. If it, if it was Satan, it would say Satan. Like that's, that's kind of a thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. They could say Satan's name all day long because they, they, they don't have any, he has no power over them. In, you know, Christians, on the other hand, claim Satan has power over humanity. And they just said it. Did y'all catch that? The world lies in the power of the evil. That's right. The the world lies in the power of the evil one. That that's where we first get that language, is, is that Satan rules the world, and then you all have the, the ability to say that. Only Christians believe that, by the way. You go to any other faith tradition in the world, uh, say Arabic, uh, say you're, you're saying Muslim, Hal Satan uh, is evil and has the ability to tempt, to persuade, but you don't follow them. He doesn't have power over you. The Jews believe that Satan exists, they have names for him, um, but he's, he has no power over you. The power, the, the, the evil is within your heart. You are your worst enemy in the Jewish faith. Christians say, yes, you're your worst enemy, and Satan exists. It's a whole different type of theology that I just really got to point out to you, because this is, this is new to this culture. I don't understand that. Good. Uh, you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, uh, I get. I guess what I'm hearing from that is Christianity has this understanding. This world is actively under the control of the evil. I mean, that that is his kingdom, his domain, who we call Satan. That that um, that would be easy. He is ruling this world, unseen, but is ruling this world. Ah, see, there you go. So, so now, who's ruling the world at the time that this is being written? Rome. Rome, and the evil one would be the emperor. The emperor, and most of the bad guys, and the emperor has the power over everything. They literally say the Roman Empire is the empire of the world. His face is on a coin, and he's holding up the world in his hands, like for real. It's like their way of explaining that we're all children of God, but there's something wrong with those. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I would say yes. I would say 100% that this is an opportunity to say, well, we are not of them. We are different than they are. Even though they're children of God, we're choosing not to be like them. Mine says, we know that we are children of God and that all the rest of the world around us is under Satan's power and control. Yeah. And the, and the only problem I have with that translation is, is they use the word Satan. Because Satan has many names in the New Testament. In the first John, the, the, the word is evil one. And, and they're really, 
they're really putting an emphasis on the emperor. I mean, like, that's the thing. So I'm going to go back to Tammy real quick. Part of the thing that we struggle with is we, we live in 2023. You all have grown up with all of these stories. You've, you've read the Bible, uh, you know, several times, whether you admit it or not, you just, in your minds, you've read these things over and over again. So you have this, I like to say a homogenized understanding of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and all of these things. When this is being written, they don't have any of that. They, they've never, ever had the conversation about Jesus and God and Holy Spirit. And is there a Satan or is the emperor Satan or what is evil, right? Like, so they're, they're formulating these ideas in such a way that is brilliant for us to look at because we go, oh, oh, so this is how we came to that understanding. And so this is your very first conversation. And this author, just for our sake, as we move into the second and third books, is its own person. Uh, we tend to believe that second and third John are written by totally different people, for example. Um and that the Gospel of John was written by multiple people. Why? Well, because the language changes, it, the handwriting changes, and everybody says to me, well, you know, as you age, your handwriting changes. No, it's been proven that it, it doesn't matter how old you are, there are specific characteristics of your handwriting that don't change. You know, So it's on a different style of paper from a completely different geographical location. So it can't be the same guy, right? And the guy that wrote uh, the Revelation of John uh, was on an island of Patmos, and we found it, you know, so it's like it, it couldn't be the same guy in all of these. So where am I going with that? So the reason it's hard for us to, to grasp is, is that we've been taught, well, John wrote all of those from the very beginning. It's one John. John wrote all of those. And if John didn't write it, Paul did. And if Paul didn't write it, well, it was Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Well, and remember, John wrote all the other books. I don't know why we taught you that. This is not a new concept. Like all seminarians, all clergy persons that have grown up with education or even any conversation have never believed that, but we preached it for centuries. And I don't know why. So it is hard for us to go, well, who is Satan then? Well, I don't know. According to first John, First John is saying the evil one, and he is using very, in my opinion, very clearly somebody that has the power of the world of the time. And like I said, you you, you got to think of Roman uh, coins. Uh, how many of you were there that day that Butch preached? Did he show you the denarii? Yeah. Uh, the the, uh, the uh, And on it, on the one side was uh, Caesar's face. And he's literally holding up the world in his hands. You know, that that's a that was their propaganda of the time. If you don't know how to read or write, but you see that guy's face on a on a coin, and that's what you use to pay for everything, he had power. <laughs> and he was evil. We all saw it. Does that make sense? He should have been holding up a little thing that showed just the rim around the Mediterranean Sea. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have made sense. They didn't know the world. Well, in verse 18, I read that. I mean, I think so much of America today. 
Oh, yeah. No, we can read into this today. Sure, we do. We know, you know, that we are God's children, that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. Sure, we can absolutely do that today. That's why it still speaks to us. Well, and I I was even taught, like, recently, and that he takes the form of everything that's evil. I, I would... I would say that we have definitely opened up that for discussion because the thing that we struggle with today, especially those that have a, we have a very highly developed sense of belief. The struggle is, is how do we recognize evil from good? Because it is, is me sitting in my office just scrolling through Facebook evil or is it good? Like I'm not actually doing anything. I'm not, paying attention to anything but as it, 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 i'm just sitting there just kind of doing one of these things is that evil or is that good oh so then according to them this is it that would be evil but that's it's awesome uh, yeah yeah Kind of a benign. It's only a little bit of pressure, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of, true, though. It's kind of like a hammer can be a tool to, to build something or to destroy something. It's yeah. just, it's yeah. what it is. It's, it's an thing. <laughs> yeah. so if Satan has power over us, would God have that same power? So, i <laughs> The only reason I'm even bringing that up yep. is it doesn't come down to Satan or God. It comes down to us. That's right. And whether Facebook is evil or good, or the hammer is evil or good, it's how we choose to use it. Yeah. And, and I like the analogy of, you know, that we're sitting in front of the TV, so we're wasting our lives away. You know, it's that good or bad. It's it's how, how we choose use that but if you're Stevie's not a good example I don't want to do Stevie all but the Holy Spirit will convict you whether or not you should be mm-hmm. you know wasting time or whatever we do something else but I, I guess where I was headed at is I won't argue that Satan has the power but it's only if I choose Go that direction. Right. Whether I whether I say yes or no, Nazis not, you know, uh, is the question we always have. No matter what it is, do I need to do this or do I need to do that? It's whichever direction. This is my belief. No, I would say, I would argue that Robert, you're you're literally summarizing what's happening in the in the Church of First John. They're believing that I think in, in our common in my commentary it talks about the Christian community becomes an island of truth. Like everything around us might not be the right, it, it'd be false. But the Christian community then becomes that island. And and that and where do and what does that help? Well, it helps me as an individual resist the power of the evil in the world. And the only way I can do that is together with other human beings that worship God in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what First John's trying to answer at the end. 
That's right. So, oh, go ahead. So I just just for the the sake of time. So second John comes along. The second letter of John. Uh, it's very quick, so we'll be able to probably finish this one. But uh, I just want to want to talk to you a little bit about it. The authorship is very unclear as to who who, who wrote this. Um, the, again, the Christian tradition tells you it's the same person that wrote for second and third John. I, I want to be very clear about how this works. When an author wants you to know who wrote it, they say it. I wrote this. I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, wrote him writing you this letter. Uh, Luke, when he writes to Theophilus, is very obvious. Oh, my dear friend Theophilus, Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Right? Very clearly, he wrote these two books. Church tradition, on the other hand, says, well, that's too complicated. We don't want to confuse anybody, so we'll make it simple. So here very, very clearly do not want you to know who the author is. But remember me ending just a little bit ago saying that there's a thing that First John does that creates a community. And, and it even uh, my commentary says an island of truth. So at the, at the end of the first century, the beginning of the second century, there was what we call a Johannine uh, community of believers uh not john the baptist <laughs> totally different john but a, a group of people that evidently were led by john and so everything that they did was written in a style like his or like first john uh, but this this one is very different than the other uh three and then like i said the uh what we call the fourth gospel john <laughs> Uh, was definitely written by multiple people. So you can tell the difference of how that works. So right off the bat, I'm just going to start. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only, but also who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and with, and will be with us forever. Grace and mercy and peace with, be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father, Son, in truth and love. Boom. This is from an elder. Is it Presbyteros? Um, yes. Uh, so the Presbyteros to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the church. Uh, this is where you get the language, the bride of Christ. So this is to the church. It's referring to the feminine aspects. The, the church is always referred to as the bride of Christ. So all of Christianity, we the, the church is the bride. So... So to this this presbyteros to the church and their children, you know. Um, so it's kind of cool. We get this image in Timothy and Titus. Uh, you, you start to hear it in Revelation, uh, which is coincidentally written before this. It's a whole other story. Um, so, uh, so that's how this is obviously a letter. 
I was overjoyed to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we have been commanded by the Father. But now, dear lady, dear church, I ask you, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning. Let us love one another, and this is the love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard it from the beginning, as you hear my language all the time say, you must walk in it. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Be on your guard so that you do not lose what we have worked for, but may receive a full reward. Everyone who does not abide in the teaching of Christ, but goes beyond it, does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Do not receive into the house or welcome anyone who comes to you and does not bring his this teaching. For to welcome is to participate in the evil deeds such a, a, of a, such a person. And then the final, although I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I have hope. I have I hope to come to you and talk with you face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send you their greetings, and there ends the reading of Second John. When I was in high school, I used to read. She felt excited. She had a, a letter from French. She had rewritten this in the modern language. Oh, cool. And your ladies for children. Those very well done. Nice. It made an impression on me. It really wasn't that. It was a letter. Yeah. It was so short. It was. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm exhausted. We read a whole book of the Bible today. I know, right? <laughs> we read a book and, and a whole chapter of another. another yeah. It's quarter. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I think we're probably going to stop there, but I, I I want you to notice that the difference in the language, right? It's, it's a, uh, uh, there's a, there's a definite, thought process that's changed a little. Uh, there's an organization that has taken place. Uh, there's obviously a greeting now and a, a, a salutation, you know, uh, that wasn't there before. Um, there's a, a more solidified understanding of Jesus and God. What are we still missing? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Yeah, Holy Spirit's still not in this language. So... Just echoing off what you said, though, uh, there's a different interpretation of uh, marriage and the Lord. Yep. Right. That's right. Because if you back up a couple of things earlier, it's a business transaction. That's right. I just, it's difficult. Some of them may be happy, but not all of them. Well, and I, so being, I guess what I'm trying to say is to be the bride of Christ. The church being you know, the slave. This is, yeah, this is something that is coming from love. I mean, yeah, and I something they wouldn't two hundred years ago necessarily been writing. And I might have messed that up a little bit because we get the terminology "bride of Christ" from here. He just says "elect lady." He doesn't. He doesn't call him call her the the bride. The church does later. See, I just did it. I, I totally just did the embedded theology. Like we end up taking it from 
this book and we end up calling it the bride of christ paul calls it that at some point and so does the book of revelation um but here it's referring to the church as feminine now here's where you're going to love this in the hebrew world um the earth is feminine that's right. They they uh, they produce life. Um, Better teacher. That's right. That's Jewish. So uh, this is a this is a um, a very strong Jewish idea, but has been modified. So the church slash lady is like from the earth. Like, uh, again, not without going through a, another rabbit trail, it's, it's really easy for me to do it on this particular language conversation. The uh, Adam and Eve story. Eve isn't named until like chapter four, right? And there's a power dynamic that takes place at the very beginning of that story. Uh, Adam and Adama, it, that's the word in Hebrew, is... Uh, from earth and of earth. So uh, uh, man, what we would say man or human comes from the earth and then of earth, uh, the, the piece of it coming out and creates the, the woman uh, that, that aspect is uh, very Hebrew. So we, we women come uh, are of earth. It's not just about having children though. It's, they pass on knowledge. They pass on. Uh, they pass on the stories. They pass on the faith. Um, there, there's a. There's some kind of nurturing, but in the Jewish world, there's even a, an idea that um, they, they are the wisdom, which eventually gets translated in Greek to the word Sophia, which is what God. In American Heritage Girls last night, they actually mentioned Sophia because Elise was doing her family tree and talking about how all the way up to her great-grandparents, they passed down family traits mm-hmm. from parents to grandparents to her on, like, she was supposed to put, like, what her parents have for good and bad traits, and then it goes and trickles down to her. Well, and Sophia is the wisdom that the Greeks name of God. That's the Greek name of God. Uh, Sophia is, and it's wisdom. So I, I, I got to be careful. Like I want to say yes, Robert. That's that there is this nurturing thing, but my I, I can't leave it there because I can hear Doctor Davison saying to me, "Yes, and not all women have to be the nurturers. They are also the 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 pas- passages of wisdom that they are the the teachers of the faith that they, and that's how the culture grew up. And the idea that God is like a, a a mother hen wrapping God's arms around you in protection. Uh, it doesn't necessarily, there's not a gender in place. Is my whole point. Yeah. So you were going to say I was something. I going to say, it seems to me like the thing that's more charged with it. Because if you think about it, <clears throat> man, at this time it's written, you don't know for sure if they're going to be coming home that day because you don't know what the Romans are going to mm-hmm. So it seems like to me, like the mothers, um, signified love too a, a great deal of love and in this in what we just read is to do 
and with the woman being the church, that's, you know, you should be able to go to church and find love in church, not hate. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that the mothers, it's up to a mother to love up to a mother, but it's more mothers are home all the time. And they're not And And I want to make sure that, because again, Dr. Davison would, would thump me that that not all women are mothers. Right. Yeah. That right. the, 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 the is one of them. Yeah. Look, the role the role of women is not just to be the nurturers, but there was this deep, deep understanding in ancient culture that we've we've kind of completely lost. I mean we really have that there there we we're starting to kind of regain it. Like the the idea that not all women have to have kids. That not all women have to be married. That 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 there are that that's that's not part of the culture. You know, for some reason we are now reclaiming that. But at this time, that was a thing. You you didn't have to have children. There they are. Oh, you're right. However, just just because this, I because I gotta say it, and I'm gonna run out. We've run out of time, but. One of my favorite parts about this, why this is such a cool passage for me, is they're very strategic on accident because they didn't mean to. They wrote stories about women that did not have children that helped the nation of Israel, and they named them prostitutes, even though we don't know if that's what their real profession was, but they they do this. Jezebel, for example, right? You know, we have all of these, we have these characters. What's the one... uh, that brings them up through the it's uh, Rahab, Rahab the prostitute. We don't know if she's a prostitute, but we know that she's listed that way. She doesn't have a family, you know. So there's this there's this interesting thing that takes place in um, in the Hebrew Hebrew Bible that we we always kind of just accidentally look over because we've been taught to, you know. Anyway, I just have to. I had to leave it at that because I I realized as I was as Robert was saying talking, I went, "Oh no, that's my own embedded theology that I just said." Because the church is we the language we use today is the church is the bride of Christ. Um, where do we get that? Well, from ancient tradition. Here, there's a deeper Hebrew understanding that I think is being challenged. That says not only are we of the earth, but the church becomes of Jesus which is super cool if you look at it from the Jewish perspective that's now being modified. Do you think this is in Bible about some antichrist? It's a very short letter. Yeah, yeah. The, warning them. I mean, everything else we've discussed is established who they are, but the letter is telling them to beware of false prophets. Yes, the whole point is is to warn them of false prophets. If they are not of Christ, you will know. So, don't welcome them into your home. Martin Luther starts talking. Go. That's right. Second John, I go look right here in the Bible. It says this. Yeah. Well, that's when that's where proof texting ends up happening, and then we have people that learn how to read and write. <laughs> I'm just picking on him, but she's he's all out there. Somebody that we embrace all the time. But, uh, we got to stop there. We'll pick up here next week on Third John.
stop the recording.